At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Well, in the abject craziness of last night, a lot of other news actually uh, has popped up here. Let's start with the latest uh, on the AD front. Reports coming in uh, from Woj and Shams. Number one, that Shams reporting that AD is focused on the Knicks and Lakers as long-term destinations because he just wants to win, of course. Uh, That list narrowing from the four-team list that he gave the Pels in February, which featured the Knicks, Lakers, Clippers, and Milwaukee Bucks, of all teams. Bucks no longer here. (laughs) And now, in addition to the Knicks and Lakers... The Celtics and then the other two New York and LA teams, the Nets and Clippers, uh, have been engaged with the Pels. Woj said that the Lakers are in the lead, whatever that means uh, as of now in a TV appearance, but I think that can change quickly. Griffin hasn't offered a firm timetable, but he has also indicated to these teams that he prefers acquiring 2019 draft picks be completed prior to the June 20th draft. So that is pretty darn soon here. And that makes sense because if he's going to receive some of those picks, he wants to be able to make them himself and maybe bring in potentially even if we're talking about a top three or a top four pick with the Knicks and Lakers to bring in that player. The other issue is that it seems like Griffin doesn't have a ton of interest in some of the assets directly controlled by these teams and that he wants to involve a third team which might have some assets that may like the say the Lakers or the Knicks assets more uh, than he does although that obviously leads to a crazy amount of complexity it it does and theoretically those could be done in in separate things maybe he could even griffin could get a calibration on let's say lonzo ball's market and it doesn't have to be in the same deal but it could be and that does add complications it also makes it harder for any negotiations to stay private should that be what the parties involved want because it's another another entity that can leak and, and everything else and for davis narrowing the list really what that does you know and remember the celtics weren't even on the four team list and they're not on the two team list either is that it the goal there is to dissuade other teams from making as strong a bids so that it makes it more likely for him to end up on the desired destinations that could work but we'll see if the success with paul george and potentially with Kawhi leonard for these teams that were absolutely not on those guys lists and in the the thunder case could not have signed them outright anyway like under any circumstances i guess that's true the raptors as well that 
whether that emboldens somebody outside of that group to get there. But it is a lot of risk, especially because it looks like the asset return here is going to be significant. We don't know that for sure, but it certainly feels that way. And yeah, I mean, it looks like we're going to be on a on a pretty tight timetable. This is a new look Pelicans front office, but I'm sure all of the, the entities involved have a firm grasp of all of the players involved because they're pretty well-established commodities. This isn't, you know, digging deep into the, you know, European scouting banks to see if Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball are basketball players that you think would be good on your team. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting is to Sham saying that the Celtics wouldn't necessarily tie a return by Kyrie Irving to their Davis efforts. Not retaining Kyrie, though, certainly means, I think, that A, because you know he's apparently not on the list, and his father had those comments about the Celtics after the Isaiah Thomas trade and him never being the same after that 2017 playoff run, that they're not going to want to put it as much on the table, number one, because then they won't have anything left to actually win and convince him to stay uh, and number two because he, he would seem more likely to potentially leave but the pelicans have every reason in the world to want everyone to think that the celtics are in there and fully engaged and that there's a need to potentially beat the celtics offer so it doesn't seem at least as of now that there's going to be some kind of a dark horse team involved but perhaps we might see that as we saw with the raptors and Kawhi leonard if in fact the offers are not that amazing and in particular if griffin doesn't value the player he could get at number three or number four or the young players on the knicks and lakers or nets or clippers so let me ask you this danny real quickly we'll we'll probably do you know a good like 30 minutes on this uh, at some point we better do it pretty soon i guess but uh we've got so much else we got to work on here but if jason tatum is not in the deal of the teams listed what is the best single asset that one of those teams has to trade so we got clippers nets lakers knicks celtics without jason tatum so, I, I can throw i can throw out some some options i mean jalen brown's an option yeah. ingram ball kuzma jared allen number three pick for number three pick the, for number the four pick although obviously presumably the uh three the number pick is better than number the three pick. pick would be considered better than number four pick uh the memphis pick going forward that's top yeah. six protected this year and unprotected in 2021 that the celtics have possibility yeah i mean if if we hadn't had lottery reform i think the the grizzlies pick would be higher but now there's a lot more volatility and we know how teams with unprotected picks can behave so i mean maybe that ends up benefiting because it's more likely if they let's say they're in the seven to twelve range at that point i do really like jalen brown <sighs> yeah is he is he the best there i mean now he's he and ingram are, are both only of one more year but the the point i'm kind of trying to get to here is that i mean you can throw in a lot of these dimes but there aren't really even many quarters here to no. trade for for the dollar that is anthony davis uh, among these teams. now maybe it's shea gilgis alexander maybe maybe there's a, a feeling that he would be the best option there but you know a lot of that but and it's possible he's not even in the trade sure and the crazy thing about it too is just because all these assets are kind of so close together it's really eye of the beholder for the pelicans of you know do you think jalen brown or brandon ingram is better we have our opinions there but i'm sure there are plenty of people who would might go either way is shea better than jalen brown yeah i'm not really sure what the answer to that is those are questions that really could go either way here is shea better than rj barrett at available number three or there's that's really what this comes down to it's just so fluid because there isn't really a, a clear hierarchy and if the celtics want to go with the jason tatum 
trump card and whether they should do that or not is a, a of course a very interesting question but it, clearly that to me it, even with tatum's relative struggles this year and, and not not to say that any of those other guys couldn't even end up being better than tatum but at this point in time he certainly has by far the most cachet and then it even comes back to are the pels trying to win this year are they trying to build around zion uh, all that stuff uh, as well let's turn to memphis now they are hiring milwaukee bucks assistant taylor jenkins as the franchise's next head coach this is now the third hire off of mike budenholzer's staff joining quinn snyder and kenny atkinson uh, who are both considered success stories i'm sure that helped jenkins candidacy don't know much about him personally other than uh Woj's last line of his little newser that said that he has a, a degree from Wharton but uh and is uh, known as being a, a pretty good player development guy and that of course uh will be huge for Memphis and I think the, the other thing about it really is the Grizzlies typically have not emphasized spreading the floor for shooting and coming with having worked with Bud in Milwaukee where floor spacing was the be-all end-all you would imagine that he's going to come up with some pretty decent ways to use John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that could really inform what the Grizz decide to do as far as bringing in another traditional center to play next to Jackson long-term, playing him at the five. I think you know, just uh, if he implements some of the same philosophies as Bud, they're, they're starting off on the right track there at least. Jenkins also becomes the second youngest head coach in the NBA, older than Ryan Saunders. He Jenkins thirty four, Saunders thirty three, and yeah, he has experience. He's in the Budenholzer coaching tree, but also he has experience with the Spurs, Austin Toros. He was the head coach of the Austin Toros and then assistant with them, or for you know the order before leaving to to go join Budenholzer on the Hawks when Budenholzer got that job. In other assistant coaching news. San Antonio, I just talked about like their assistant coaches with Jenkins formerly being in their staff. Ime Udoka is leaving the Spurs to become the lead assistant with former Spurs assistant Brett Brown on the Philadelphia 76ers. He, Udoka is functionally replacing Monty Williams, who got the job in Phoenix. And on top of that, Atori Messina, accomplished international coach who joined Pop staff a couple years ago, he is leaving the Spurs as well to run basketball operations and become the, the head coach of Olympia Milano back in Italy. Yeah, he's been the lead assistant there since 2014. And we don't know how much longer Papa is going to coach. Of course, he did sign a three-year extension, but I think, you know, that's more window dressing just in the sense that he could he's taking it year by year in terms of whether he's going to coach again. So with both of those guys leaving, you would have to assume that they, at the very least, have not been designated as a successor. And perhaps that's not Pop's style to do that. But it makes me think that, you know, maybe this could clear the path uh, for Becky Hammond certainly to take on a larger role on the staff and that perhaps uh, if that goes well she might be the choice as the next head coach uh, of the Spurs you know you hear mixed things there uh, on you know how much they think of her as you know really head coaching type of material or not but it does seem that way where when the two biggest assistants leave for you know you don't it's not quite a lateral move uh and you know maybe messina just wants to go back to italy but it does seem like you know the, those guys clearly were not told that they were next in line um well, one other yeah, name to ahead. mention there, Will Hardy is the other yeah. assistant coach. I mean, Chip Anglin technically too, but he's more, he, he, I don't think of him as being the heir apparent there. No. Will Hardy 
I believe this was just his eighth year with the Spurs. He was started as a video coordinator and then be, joined the joined the coaching staff a few uh, after that point. And so maybe he's a possibility as well, or maybe it's somebody outside of it. But it, it's it's definitely interesting when you have five listed assistant coaches and two of them are are gone in rapid succession. Speaking of rapid succession, Paul George had another surgery, this time on his left shoulder to repair a tear in his labrum. The recovery timetable is the same, according to Royce Young, as it was when he had surgery on his right shoulder a few weeks ago. Probably the reason they were staggered is simply so that he could have some type of uh, mobility in his actual life. And he's to be reassessed around the start of training camp, which, uh, again, you know, it seems like there's a possibility he may not quite be ready to start the season, and certainly that uh, his ability to work out is going to be negatively impacted couple of things coming out about kd chris haynes uh, had a story one saying this is a passive voice so i'm not sure whether he's talking about the warriors players or kd that there's some resentment about how the warriors handled the updates on durant's condition without his, throughout his rehab process we talked about that uh, on monday's show before he actually even came back uh, that it was really foolish of them not to say how long he was going to be out for uh, and to to uh, it's like I, i'm reminded of of this Star Trek The Next Generation episode when they find Scotty, who is the engineer on the original show, like stuck in a transporter loop or something like that or on some planet or whatever. And so he tries to explain to the current engineer, Jordy LaForge, that the way to handle your captain is tell him it's going to take a really long time and then finish it faster so that he's always happy uh, with the results and thinks he worked really hard to get back and the Warriors probably should have done that same thing uh, with KD uh, said that he's going to be out for a long time and then if he comes back more quickly it's a miracle uh and also that there was a day-to-day talking point uh, about his status Tom Haverstrow had an interesting piece where he talked to a couple of medical personnel on other teams saying that they thought it was pretty much insane for him to play 12 of the first 14 minutes in coming back and that that whether that had to do with his injury or not it probably was not a great idea and a couple other things that I can say uh, about KD, I, I think, and we talk more about this on the Warriors offseason preview too, whenever we do that. But if I'm him, you know, let's say if perimeter players have usually taken maybe nine months to get back from, from these injuries, you know, Kobe, Wes Matthews, those guys were on the very low end uh, of that. Rudy Gay was January, he was ready to start the season the next year with the Spurs. So maybe KD could be back, you know, late February, early March, assuming there is a full tear. We haven't, the news on that hasn't come out yet, but I think we'll make that assumption for now. And if I'm KD and it's uh, available to me and I want to just maximize my money, I would just take a a five-year deal from the Warriors because let's say he, because it's so close in the mind right now of how dominant he was, I think teams can kind of just forget just what an Achilles tear is. And if he's been gone for a year and he doesn't, you're taking a risk that maybe you're not back for the playoffs next year, or maybe you play really poorly, you know, kind of along the lines like what DeMarcus has played this year. And then maybe that four-year max next year isn't on the table or a five-year max isn't on the table. So if that's offered, maybe you go that direction. And then also, if you're going to sign somewhere else, if he can come back next year, if he signs with the Warriors again, he could at least be pretty much assured of being in the playoffs 
and having a chance at another ring next year whereas if he goes somewhere else and they're paying him the max to sit on the sideline all year and you have to fill in a, a around him and he's not 100 percent when he comes back which seems very unlikely you know that team is not going to be in championship contention almost certainly if whoever signs him next year if he doesn't in fact sit the wars he could always opt in of course but i would see no reason for him to opt in if he can get the longer deal for from the warriors and maybe you know he can always ask for a trader later that was something that was reported today too i think it was in haynes piece as well the idea that if he signs with them they would accommodate his desire to be moved at a later time if that's what he wanted uh so anyway that's all all i've got uh on him for now i want to clarify one other thing which is i've been asked this a few times and i don't think i'm gonna write it so it's fine to use it in the use it in the pod is for a brief second i was thinking today after getting asked about a disabled player exception for him next season so as a point of clarification under no circumstances because the injury happened this year could another team signing durant get a dpe yes because the injury has already occurred so that we already know theoretically if he is a warrior next year they could apply for it, but the Warriors would be very unlikely to actually receive it because the threshold is incredibly strong. It is about whether it is substantially more likely than not that the player will be unavailable, will, will not be return or be ready to return before June 15th. You just talked about the timeline. That's a pretty strong dif- turn the other way. And then what theoretically the Warriors would get in that circumstance, let's say it was granted, which I would not expect at all, they would get basically a non-taxpayer mid-level exception that they could use that amount of money that they could use to sign somebody or to acquire somebody via trade for on a one-year contract. So that could be an expiring contract or that could be through a signing, but they would still have to pay the money and the luxury tax on that, on that money should they choose to use some or a portion of it. Yeah, and uh, it would be a pretty penny tax payment for the Warriors to give a five-year max deal to KD when he can't play for a, a lot of next year. Uh, in New York, quickly, uh, there is uh, much mourning because the thought was that KD w- was going to go there. Ian Begley reporting that the Knicks could still offer Kevin Durant a deal uh, if he opts out. Uh, and also noting that some of the Knicks organization are wary of dealing for Anthony Davis due to the fact that they gave up too many assets in the Carmelo Anthony trade, which uh, some of the Knicks organization uh, well so that's probably people who were st- still there uh back then and uh guess what 80 is a little bit better than carmelo guys so well and uh, carmelo everybody knew he was going to sign there what Melo was doing was trying to maximize his money because the cba yeah. was different then that was the the trade and extend and all that sort of, sort of stuff which they right. which Melo actually inspired changes in in the subsequent cba and anthony davis is going to have other options on the table and the knicks like, it's the, the knicks argument is basically still at as of this moment we're the Knicks so thinking that oh yeah we're definitely going to get him in free agency over the other options that could be on the table is wishful thinking now those wishes could be granted that's the way this works sometimes but yeah that's notable and I mean we're it seems to me like we're getting closer to the kind of the nightmare scenario for the Knicks which is that they don't end up with the players that would inspire other good players to come there and so you know it is a it's not necessarily an all or nothing proposition but it often is and I the nothing seems a lot more likely right now than it was a few weeks ago a few months ago. Tim McMahon uh, reporting that the Rockets have rekindled extension talks with Mike D'Antoni and are nearing an agreement. Tillman Fertitta has removed the buyout language. That was the sticking point when the talks previously broke down. You'll recall that he first mischaracterized the the nature of that, and Warren Legary clarified that no, he would have only made 2.5 million in the year of the extension if he were fired. 
and or didn't make the playoffs uh so daryl morin fertitta visited d'antoni in west virginia but liguri uh saying well that's great that they visited him but uh the talks still have to go through me so we haven't heard anything there yet and in charlotte tony parker has retired one of our five active finals uh, mvps uh, is now off the board and parker he played this last year in charlotte he had about five million non-guaranteed for next year for charlotte that now leaves them with a, a big hole they got to fill at backup point guard and potentially starting point guard if Kemba Walker were to leave although the reporting seems to indicate more and more that Walker uh, will return there uh, if the money is right so uh, Parker his legacy uh, is a, a fascinating one the picks uh, of him and Manu Ginobili very late in the draft managed to keep that Spurs dynasty going and it's interesting to think with that devastating quad injury that he suffered in the 2017 playoffs and then kind of playing out the string in charlotte with his buddy nick batum in the last year that tony parker actually aged exceedingly well for a point guard with his type of game without a three-point shot and who's not like an unbelievable passer either uh you know really he was one of the better point guards in the nba until age 33 up until it was really 14 to 15 was really the year that he first started declining uh, and that was a big part of, of why the Spurs took a step back uh, from that 2014 championship team. But uh, really a, an incredible uh, career for him. And, and it, you didn't see him when he was younger. He was just one of these awesome one-man fast break guys. One of the best finishing point guards uh, that we've ever seen. You know, regularly was at the among the league leaders uh, in points in the paint. It worked diligently uh, on his jump shot. Did have uh, some foibles with teammates, uh, shall we say. That should be part of his story uh, as we talk about him being part of this uh wonderful kumbaya spurs culture etc uh, etc et uh but it is a shame uh, that parker will no longer be a part of the nba but i, I think you know it was he really was a middling backup quality point guard at this point in time he was having trouble staying on the floor last year a lot a lot of hamstring injuries that sort of thing and so it, it was good that he at least was able to return for a couple of years from that that quad injury uh and actually return it as well as he did frankly but it was uh probably uh, about time uh, for him uh, to move on and uh, he will be a no doubt hall of famer a few stats that I, I thought were were interesting with parker's career that just kind of putting it in the in the just the, the length of it in larger context so six all-star games four all nba teams but he is 17th in career assists 46th in minutes played and 53rd in points which is pretty amazing to me for uh for for the for the nba and i mean the duration of his career is notable he came into the league his age 19 season so one of those european players who who came over young and was a part of so many successful spurs team including really young in his career i remember i remember that the precocious tony parker in that like that oh two oh then the oh three playoffs just yeah the, well oh one oh two he started as a yep. 19 year old point guard no one mm-hmm. had ever heard of this guy and i mean th- that team had the best best record in the nba in 2001 got waxed by the lakers and then they bring in this rookie point guard who plays 2300 minutes in his rookie year at his age 19 season on like a really good team and you know he had some times where pop would lose faith in the speedy claxton took some time from him in the 03 finals for instance but by 23 0506 he had become an all-star and ended up as a six-time all-star in the western conference too which uh which actually means something and uh certainly one of the the quickest players uh, that we've seen and uh, all right it's about all i got in him um 
Other news in Charlotte, Marvin Williams uh, will not be getting the voice because he actually was good last year, uh, but he is going to opt into the fourth year of the contract. That was actually a sour 16 that ended up not being so sour uh, as it turned out. Williams do, I'm actually going to update it on my sheet right now that he's opted in. 15 million next year remember he actually signed with the most that charlotte could offer him as an early bird player interestingly williams looked like he was done like six years ago in utah he could barely get off the floor and went to charlotte uh, on a a short-term deal and really uh, made himself back into a quality starting power forward all the like just improved his athleticism was back like protecting the rim being a, a a switch guy one of those guys who the the modern nba really evolved to fit around him when he was sort of a tweener for it uh, when he came into the league as the number two overall pick back in 2005 and uh the hawks have waived Deontay Davis, most famous for me, calling Damian Dotson Deontay Dotson two weeks ago to my utter embarrassment. Uh, he had a $1.6 million non-guaranteed contract. Well, the other, the other thing yeah. that I think of with him is he signed the richest... Sec- I knew you were going to say that. The yeah, richest nice. contract ever for an American-born second-round pick. I don't think he still has that honor, but he did, at least for a period of time. Maybe he still does. I don't know. All right, we got to get to DeAndre Hunter. But first, this uh, from Zebit, which believes that everyone deserves access to lifelong, interest-free credit. With Zebit, you have the power to buy what you need and pay pay over time interest free with a better zero interest credit option for all members no matter your credit score this is the big thing with them zero cost to join zero membership fees zero late fees and your zebit account is not determined by your credit score nor does it impact your credit score it's a marketplace with products at competitive prices that is going to give you $2,500 in credit when you go to zebit.com slash cap space to shop the Zebit marketplace. That's C-E-B-I-T at zero interest and zero cost to join. Electronics, barbecues, furniture, whether it's a, a birthday, holidays, something that you just need to buy, Zebit is the place to go. They have a five-star rating on Trustpilot and they've earned the trust of hundreds of thousands of customers who shop with them. Once again, the one to get started with them is zebit.com zebit.com slash capspace to get $2,500 of interest-free credit. That's zebit.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Let's turn now to DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia. A little different type of player than RJ Barrett and Culver in particular because while he really doesn't project at all as a, a primary creator, the theory of him fits much more with the NBA even if his theoretical ceiling isn't as high uh, as those guys due to his uh, the fact that he's not uh, really projecting as an on-ball guy at the next level and I was thinking about it watching his film I think it was the second day I was watching his film about how unusual it would be for a really successful defender perimeter or otherwise who wasn't particularly high usage in college you know like so Marcus Smart for example like Marcus Smart or Drew Holiday or numerous big men I mean Joel Embiid all these type of guys like these were college stars in various shades who then became you know a little bit more roly they they limited parts of their game and then and became dominant defenders and everything else like that and it's interesting that that hunter is is basically kind of the, the sales pitch for him is that he's closer to ready made in terms of role and some of that comes comes with a jump shot. I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about that. But I wanted to go through some of the physicals, which I think is another big part of the sales pitch for him. Absolutely. Using the the numbers that Mike Schmitz has out there, which seem about in line with what I've seen other places, listed at six foot eight, 
227 pounds, 7'2 wingspan. The, those are great measurables for an NBA forward. You know, I, I like that personally better for a three than a four, but you can play the four with that to be sure. And the other measurable, which is important for DeAndre Hunter, is his age. Hunter is already 21. He turns 22 in December, so he will play almost his entire rookie year at age 22. And part of the reason for that is that he was a little bit of a late bloomer. He was a four-star recruit, but he redshirted his first year at UVA. And then last year, he came off the bench. He was extremely important, and, and him breaking Hunter breaking his wrist in the ACC tournament is a big part of why UVA lost that embarrassing 116 game last year. And then he started was you know just a huge part of their team this year. Quick aside, I'm really glad that we're not watching any more players on Texas Tech or Virginia. Oh, oh can I tell a quick story on that? Such a slow pace. So, so I watch a lot of the footage through Synergy, and Synergy has a two-second skip and a five-second skip. <laughs> this is, I was going to have the same thing. I, I have never regularly used the five-second skip because it's too much. Like, you think about all the things that can happen in five seconds of basketball. Oh, I, I totally agree. I use I, that. I, I was use using it constantly. And it, I mean, it was, it was incredible. Like, I would see, I would see the little bar to be like, five second. I would hit it twice. I've almost never hit it once. And I was hitting it twice on UVA offensive and defensive possessions. It was incredible. Yeah. Well, and you know, okay, if, if it's going to be, if you're watching a live game, that's one thing. You know, there's all, all the action you can get something from it, you know, unless they're just bringing the ball up court. But uh, on plays like, you know, looking at his finishing, I would look at, because it shows you how long the clip is when you first click onto it. It's like, 37 seconds like how is that possible this shot clock is like it's only 30 seconds it's like i i actually because you can set how much the skip forward is so i have mine set for five and 15 seconds i was like hitting the 15 second like more than 50 percent of the time is it, it was ridiculous all right back to hunter athletically he's very interesting you mentioned the big wingspan stout He's not someone that you would think of as being crazy athletic vertically. If he really gets a runway, either off of one or two feet, as Schmitz would say, in space, he can get up for some relatively big finish. He, he had three or four dunks with it where he, that he just crushed on guys that, that looked pretty good. But it doesn't have that quick kind of pop. And I think that that shows on both ends of, of the floor, as we'll talk about. Pretty darn quick feet laterally, though. I think that's a, another big part of, of his physical profile that's huge huge here and just very good core strength and uh, excellent ability to stay in front of guys showed some ability uh, to bang on the posts uh, on both ends uh, as well what are some of the relevant stats uh, on hunter so for this his sophomore season 24.3 per 62 percent true shooting on 24 percent usage 13 assist percentage 10 turnover percentage 10 10 percent rebounds which is a little bit lower but i mean when you think about some of the some of the context there i think that matters and then if you want the counting stats 15 points five rebounds two assists and 32 and a half minutes per game but remember virginia plays at an astonishingly slow pace offensively and defensively so counting stats are a little bit weird here and then here here are some important ones 44 percent on 2.8 three-pointers per game that's 46 out of 105 and 78 percent on 4.1 free throw attempts per game so overall at uva 42 percent three-point shooters 77 percent from the line yeah 160 attempts in his career 42 percent from three uh, that's pretty solid although the 3.4 per 40 minutes is not unbelievable and then 0.7 steals 0.7 blocks per 40 again we talked about the whole pack line defense 
aspect for Virginia. They play the same as Culver. We talked about that a little bit. And the theories of how that might reduce blocks and steals. But to be honest, I didn't see anything in watching him to think that he would have some kind of a ball hawk in either of those respects. Let's talk about the defense first. I think that's really the calling card for Hunter. A lot of switchability, I think, with his size, the ability to guard one through five uh, could be realistic for him. We didn't see him that much matched up against the absolute quickest point guards, guys who are going to be able to get him in space, cross him over in an ISO. Uh, But against guys, you know, RJ Barrett, he went up against a few times. He looked pretty good against him. Culver. I thought he did a very nice job on Culver overall. Absolutely. Yeah. And he dropped that 27 in the national championship game as well. And the thing that really stood out the most to me is his ability to move his feet, stay in front of guys, not get overpowered due to his weight and core strength and still show his hands, keep his hands away from the dribbler because a lot of guys feel like oh this guy's going to go right through me if i don't put my forearm on him and and we've seen it particularly in the nba that guys will feel that and barf up a shot and you get a foul call on him so the way he's able to show his hands and yet still move and not get overpowered keep his chest on guys still bother them while showing his hands and still moving i mean it's hard to kind of keep your hands up like that and still be moving it's very very impressive i really like that's probably the the one thing that i like the most about everything that he was able to do defensively his technique uh already at this point in time is outstanding it was a little bit of a different calculus with him than for some of these guys because especially early on i was more bothered by him not getting into players defensively as much just because that is such a standard for those you know pit bull perimeter defenders is getting into somebody and he hunter doesn't do that that much but he is largely sticking with players so i'm a little bit concerned you know that it's just a little bit off of the the standard protocol for a dominant defender but i did like that he stayed in front of people i i was concerned at how much guard penetration he gave up though he did have so originally like this is one of those things of like you start in a video thing and then you go down a rabbit hole where i started watching I watched all 22 of his blocks because I had seen a couple of them where it was like a block that I felt uncomfortable with because he the guy got by him and Hunter recovered for a block. And the problem is the jump from, from college point guard to professional point guard in terms of athleticism, you can't recover in the same way. Those guys are just gone. You know, if Mike Connolly or let's say De'Aaron Fox, let's go, let's go pretty far in that direction. De'Aaron Fox, Russell Westbrook, if they get by you, you're not getting back unless the big does a really nice job of slowing them down. But when I started watching more film of his only healing at 22 blocks, it was pretty easy to watch all of them. There were more of the help side stuff and some of the possessions where he just snuffed out the possession. They had no chance and then he, he blocked the, the, the crap they threw up. Like those sorts of plays, which were much more positive. I would describe him as more solid than spectacular as a defender, but he's as solid as solid gets, if that makes sense. Like yeah, if yeah I'm pretty good to, with that. Like, he, he doesn't yeah. have that many wow defensive plays. Yeah, he, he, does, couple, he doesn't really nice make steals. plays. Yeah, yeah couple, on or off the ball, I would say he's, he's not, especially off the ball, I would say he's not really a playmaker uh, as far as blocks well, or steals, and that's help defense. Something that concerns me a little bit to me is that he seems more of a reactor than an a, a anticipator. anticipator yeah. yeah, and so that's concerning because the NBA is so reliant on anticipation. But also, you know, getting, getting more reps and, I mean, he is turning 22 pretty soon. So like that is a little bit of concern, but he does have the tools to do okay as a reactor. Like there are certain players, like I've talked about this with DeAndre Eaton, that that really 
concern it freaked me out with him because at the center position it's a little bit different than on the perimeter but I think Hunter can make do there it's just you know like I don't think he is I try not to listen to the chatter as much on guys but I don't think he's a sure thing defensively but there are a lot of things that I understand why people feel so positively about him on that end yeah and on ball one of the things that really makes you a great defender your Andre Iguodala your Kawhi Leonard generally you know some guys aren't like this like Clay Thompson isn't like that Tayshaun Prince wasn't like it but generally the ball hawking aspect is an important component because you put the offensive player on the defensive a a, a little bit where they're worried about losing the ball and that means that they're not going to be as comfortable going into their move they they, things are kind of taken away from them they're thinking all right I gotta hold the ball away from this guy as I go up for my shot that kind of thing uh same same thing as a shot blocker and you know again he he is not going to just get into you you as you mentioned uh, and while I think he does a really nice job for his size getting through screens especially off the ball when needed or on ball and he can lock in he uses his strength well to get through uh, screens it's the the lack of off ball playmaking that because I because I think he's a four we'll talk about his offense more I think he is absolutely for sure a four I don't see him being a three that certainly at least if he plays a three it'll be because we don't have anybody else rather than because he's so personally good at it and you would like to see more playmaking in terms of blocking shots protecting the rim verticality his lack of that quick two foot jump really I I thought was an issue now and the pack line defense they don't have quite as many traditional help responsibilities protecting the rim because you're the guys are sagging in and helping to avoid penetration to begin with but still we didn't see those types of plays at all when he was in position he wasn't affecting the shot that much as a help guy and didn't show incredible anticipation getting to protect the rim so i don't know and again when this we'll get in this more on the offensive end not he has a lot of things that he can kind of do well as individual skills but you wonder about his feel and ability to put it all together there's a lot of him that makes me think he's been very well coached and but that they have kind of made a player out of him as opposed to him being somewhat natural I think that shows up in the lack of just awesome defensive instincts so so I agree with you I mean if you're he I don't think he's gonna be just like a spectacular all defense level defender it's more like you know you could see him being kind of along your your Mo Harkless Al Farouk Aminu type of mold as a four who I think he's being a better shooter than either of those two guys to be clear but defensively and I I would say even those guys probably have a little bit more bounce uh, than he does so he, he may have quicker feet and be a little stronger than both of those guys but that's that's kind of the type of guy i'm thinking you know i'm not thinking of thaddeus young level of, of defender here another guy who has somewhat of a similar body type although he was a string being when he came out uh you know as that type of a four defensively who can hold up be pretty good uh, on most teams but isn't going to be like oh this dude is locking down everybody he's going against here and i can't compare him as a prospect but I don't see, you know, like the 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 destructive tendencies that are nature that Pascal Siakam has, let's say, like the way that he can affect a game and and, and move around the court. Like yeah. I, I don't think that Hunter has that has that element, and I think he can do it. You know, he can do a nice job on a lot of different players. But when I watch him, I don't see somebody who's going to sh- shut down the best of the best. Like I think he can do a good job, and I think for a lot of teams, he would be their best option on a player like that. But I don't think he's the next Kawhi stop or anything crazy like that not that any root truly exists right now but that sort of you know like is this a 16 game player on the defensive end 
I, I, I think I think he is. I think he is. It's, I, just, I, it's I, just he's not. He's not to me a number one defender yes, on yeah, a great defense. Absolutely, like he can be a part yeah. of it, but I don't think he's the lead yeah, guy. But but he's not. He's not going to be someone like, oh yeah, let's go attack this guy. You know, right. I think he can hold up very well. And you know, on a mediocre team, I, I could see him being one of the better options defending on the wing on many teams. Yeah, I, I could totally see him depending on where he goes being one of those players who gets talked up for all defensive teams like a series of different years and people like us being like oh come on now like that that's sort of a circumstance i could see that happening but i i like him and i, and I like a lot of it i like a lot of his game it's just that there is a line there and and we'll see how he how he grows but when i look at the kind of the the frame that you are building the rest of his career off of i don't see the type of physical potential that with some of the other perimeter especially forward defenders that i've really liked over the years like Kawhi, like i don't see and and i mean Kawhi was a freak for a bunch of different reasons but like i don't see that type of thing with him but he's the next step down and he could be really damn good in a lot of ways that are exceedingly important to a successful nba team speaking of which let's turn to the offensive end now is jump shot we mentioned the excellent three-point shooting 42 percent career not a ton of volume not a ton of deep threes but he does have a pretty high release point. I uh, showed some ability to shoot on the move. Not a huge part of his game, but it, since he played mostly the four, he started a few games at the three when they'd played too big, but mostly he, he was playing at the four. So he showed uh, some ability to pick and pop, especially going down to the corners where the footwork and the reads it, is a little bit easier. Uh, and they even ran a couple of plays for him to come off of screens for threes. More of the plays that they ran for him to come off of screens were for either two-point jumpers or for him to catch it with an advantage, take a dribble in the lane uh, and try to finish now he's not taking any threes where you're like oh this guy is covered he's just jacking it up he's getting it off quickly Uh, his shot is he's got pretty good form but again it's a little robotic it's a little like okay this guy is kind of a made three-point shooter rather than a a natural and the volume reflects that the way that i would describe it is he has the least versatile jump shot of somebody who makes a lot of them that i makes a high proportion of them that i've seen Uh, uh, well from three from three, from three. Maybe, yes yeah. yes from three yeah i think it's two-point jumper actually shows some potential yeah, yeah there, there's a little bit of potential there but you know it's it's slow it does have a high release point thanks to his wingspan and everything else but it's it you know it, it takes him a little while to get going and it's it was a lot from the college corner so and hunter i i am a little bit concerned that it seemed like every single one of his threes was like right on the line and so then moving it back but but he's you know he has a good enough base that i'm not as i'm not as concerned it's the same idea of i've talked about before with that i think lebron could shoot deeper threes because it's i don't think it's that different of a shot mechanically for him i'm not, I'm not that concerned about her it's just further out and that's a little bit harder he'll have to adjust and everything like that but yeah i mean the jump shot to me from three it's it is robotic but it did go in pretty well so that's nice and he, and he was a good yeah. free throw shooter as well so i don't necessarily love his touch at other points but his his shot has has done pretty well for him in these two years of virginia probably the next most intriguing aspect to, for him is the mid post iso post up type of ability uh, he likes to catch it 15 16 feet from the basket inside pivot go into a a jab step game 
He can jab the guy off, shoot a, a quick jumper over the top of the smaller defenders. Most of the guys who were guarding him were smaller players than him a lot of times. And then he also has that jab right, one dribble pull up going left that, that he used a lot. He even was able to attack with one or two dribbles from the perimeter, create space and rise up from the mid-range again, always going to his left. He, I don't recall a single time that he shot a jump shot going to his right, which, you know, it's much easier for righties to when they're going left uh, anyway uh but he definitely that was the move that he wanted to make it out of the mid post he could do the drive to his right just enough to keep the defense honest to set up going left you know he did have some hard straight line drives to his right that looked reasonably good uh the finishing though to me again because he doesn't have that quick pop explosiveness was you know pretty average i think for the type of role that he's gonna have right like he's not crushing alley-oops he's not getting up for tip dunks when you think of a, a player of his ilk who's getting drafted this high you think oh well this guy must have like really good athleticism uh to finish around the rim play in transition block some shots as we already talked about he did doesn't really do that uh you know roll to the basket as, as kind of a, a small ball pick and roll threat get on the offensive glass not really something either off of one or two feet that we see a, a ton of uh, from him and then when he puts the ball on the floor you know it's it's okay he shot 69 percent around the rim per hoopmath.com but it's not like unbelievable type of finishes not unbelievable craft not a, a lot of touch finishes he'll miss some layups that you would expect him to make when he's contested so you know i, I see him as an average nba finisher uh, for when you consider his his height and as a four man you know i don't see him getting under the basket powering up just like going through guys like, he's relatively physical he gets to the foul line okay but in the nba i don't see him as the type of player who can just go over guys at the rim on a regular basis agreed and so that will make it make his role in the NBA a little bit more challenging you know I I I think that he'll probably end up being somebody who is an extremely low usage player but then when the opportunity presents itself if the team tries to like leave him open he can either take that shot or do the two dribbles and a good decision type of thing and he had some nice passes like there were there was a play that I really liked where he had a drive and dump off and that's good recognition you know I I actually thought he showed sometimes he showed better I'm not sure I want to use instincts or like just faster reactions on offense than on defense like you'd see him do something like oh okay like you you can get there a little bit more but still he made some nice reads uh, mostly out of side pick and roll yes finding the big which you know that's one of the easier passes uh, to make where you know that guy's usually going to be open you know they didn't run much middle of the floor pick and roll uh, for him but yeah he was able to find guys roll into the rim out of side pick and roll oh one one quick defensive thing just because i'm going through my notes and i forgot to mention this one thing i did like about so he didn't have a ton of steals but the steals he got were good plays without much foul risk which is something that i like you know it wasn't just like these reckless you know like i think of monte ellis because they covered him monte ellis just like gave Gambles. They weren't really those type of plays. It was more like he got his hand into a reasonable place. They probably weren't going to call foul. I just like that. Another thing, actually, I, I neglect to mention on the defense, too, is the defensive glass. He's not really an out-of-area defensive rebounder. Again, yeah, I'm happy you brought the, that up. Lack of the quick two-foot explosion. You mentioned the pretty low rebounding rate for someone who played a, at the four a, a lot. Uh, but I was impressed with the way he boxed out and his physicality. You know, he's really, it was very rare that a shot would go up that he wouldn't put a body on someone. And so, you know, that 
that that has value obviously even if he is not getting the board himself uh you know we'll see where what his role is who he has next to him but he's not going to gobble a lot of boards uh, himself i would imagine then uh really i don't see him unless he makes a lot of changes being like a grab and go type of threat like he's going to need to outlet the ball i would imagine if he does get the rebound going back to the offensive end something i wanted to just put out there i don't know how i feel about it yet is he had some really bad misses like air balls or which is like shot like basically shots that were just like looked like they were a mile off and that always concerns me when a guy has high high percentage numbers and then has some really bad misses because oftentimes you see but I don't think we're thinking of him as like a you know like a a crazy elite shooter there we expect a step back there but it's just something I wanted to put out there because whenever somebody does that I think a little bit about whether those numbers might be inflated. Yeah, and going to the rim to the left hand, he tried a few left-handed finishes, but it generally didn't look that great. You know, I think it, the way he's uh, improved as a player, you, you can expect him to, to work pretty hard. We've seen a lot of uh, Virginia guys, eh, maybe with the exception of Justin Anderson, although he's had injury problems to uh, improve. And eh, maybe I shouldn't say a lot. Maybe I'm just being overly affected by my, my view of Malcolm Brogdon. Um, pick and roll, a little bit more about it. I, I think he showed some degree of patience going left where he's able to wait out the big let him retreat and then you know do a, a hard pound dribble kind of like Kawhi does just in place waiting for things to develop but then uh, complete his attack or, or rise up for the jumper I've got a little more confidence than you I, I, I as you know I don't see him as just like a dead bang fifth option type it's possible he could just be all right your only job is to just shoot open threes and that's it that it could just the rest of his game just will never evolve in the NBA but I think you know his post-up game he also showed the ability to back down against smaller defenders right to the basket i think his physicality is something where and he has enough ball skills to take advantage of it if you know especially if it's like oh we're gonna put our best wing defender on the other team's point guard and we're gonna hide our two on on deandre hunter that he could you know it's not gonna be you're gonna run in this play every time but two three times a game just kind of duck in step into a a post up maybe in transition turn and face shoot over the top i i think it's possible he could develop into a third option type when he's on the floor probably more likely fourth option but he's shown enough flashes offensively and well i should clarify yeah. i think of him as a fourth option not a fifth option okay because fair, he, fair his enough. jump yeah. shots there and his handle you know his handle's functional enough fifth options to me are guys that basically can't dribble or pass and you yeah. can do both and, those things and i want to see too you know what kind of shooting threat he can evolve into is it just all right you're wide open you're going to shoot it and that's it or is he going to be able to shoot on the move deeper range get that shot off a uh, more often uh, that's going to be an interesting question for me as well with him um the way i think of him and not athletically necessarily but think kind of of like the way that serge ibaka's offensive game has evolved as you know an old school four now a five where he's kind of learned all of these discrete skills right like he's got a pretty good mid-ranger he was a good three-point shooter and uh, until last year nice touch around the rim get on the offensive glass some pick and pop but it's kind of just this laundry list of discrete skills that he can't necessarily put together he's improved his passing a lot uh, the last couple of years that's been an emphasis but you know he's still he's not a natural there right he's has these skills that if you just watch him in an empty gym like it looks pretty good and he can apply those at times in the right situations it's when it gets to being more of a, a complex read putting moves together being the one who's initiating 
making the, the play, making a play in a four on three that it kind of breaks down for him. And I see DeAndre Hunter as kind of the same way, right? You see a lot of these skills that he has where you want to write him off as just, all right, he's just going to shoot. All he's going to do is shoot threes, but he's able to do some things if he's put in the right situation and used correctly, but you know, ha- kind of has defined reads in those situations, right? So where you're probably not going to be like, okay, we're just going to throw it to DeAndre Hunter, let him go create in the mid post, but maybe you run a play for him when he has the right matchup and he can get good position and it knows exactly where everyone's going to be on a set play and can go right up with it you know that's that's kind of how i see him as a way to just you know a few times a game you could run a play for him he could do some stuff but he, you just don't want him to be the main guy who's trying to create for himself a and for others necessarily or, or you know if you throw it to him on the backside maybe he can he can attack and make one read quickly but uh, that's kind of how i see him if that's uh i don't know what what you think of that comparison but that's uh he does have these kind of discrete skills that make me a little hesitant to just write him off as purely just all right a spot shooter play finisher entirely i like the abaca idea that he just doesn't have the and i would say it's more mental than physical connective tissue to just piece it together to be like a more complete complete dynamic offensive player, but he can put together enough skills to be functional to provide more value than a a fifth option or even maybe a fourth option. I I think he's going to end up in that four slot, not the three, but it's possible. I'm not going to write it off either. And one other thing about his his touch, this was a stat that Schmitz had in his video. Hunter only made four floaters this entire season. It's a little bit of a concern. I don't know four out of how many, but not a great side in in, term, in terms of that. Yeah. And, and the in-between game, you know, the mid-range pull-up, I think that he can get to, but, you know, like that yeah. kind of... Shot 44% on uh, two-point jump shots. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good number. And a lot of those, more of those were self-created than a lot of players who have who yeah. who have his archetype and those are all contested shots right so, so yeah i i think that there there are some some interesting elements there but i think that gets into one of the, the so there are two big picture things that i thought were fascinating with Hunter. so the the really the first thing i saw of him was the national championship game because i was watching it initially primarily for jared culver and he hunter had so much confidence in his jump shot and i'm just sitting there going like man i wonder what the numbers are here and then it ends up being you know i mean first of all he has good numbers but on lower usage but i mean that's the best game of his season he was fantastic offensively in that game and did a really nice job defensively but then the other the other thing that that just and we talked about at the outset but i just find it just so interesting intellectually with him is the idea of somebody coming in more tailor-made for a specific role rather than hey this guy is really talented physically mentally ideally both and we'll see what he becomes but he could be all of these different things and it's not so much that i think oh that's he's destined to fail or anything like that for that reason far from it i i think there's a it's just that it's so unusual that i'm having trouble i'm i'm internally skeptical because it's just so unusual yeah and you know part of it is uh, the understanding that maybe this isn't the greatest draft in the world uh but you know you could see him as the type of guy who ends up getting a four-year 60 million dollar contract as a second contract to come in and be a solid starter for you you know it's hard to imagine that it gets much beyond that because i don't as you mentioned i think he's a decent defender in a decent even a decent playoff defender where again you're not he he can hold up just fine but you're he's not going to make a difference for you 
it's more just okay we need someone here who's not going to get killed and he can do that and he can do it across multiple positions which is valuable and if that guy can hit shots like i mean that's the player that a lot of teams are looking for and maybe he can play the three if the jump shot really improves but i other than that i'm not sure you know that that's really going to be i think there's i think he'd defend the the three is because feet to me are quick enough um so yeah it's this is the player who in a normal draft you know you're probably talking about in the lower end of the top 10 i buy the idea that he can come in and contribute right away much more than someone like culver for example uh because i just think he he fits more in the league i believe in his jump shot more i believe in his defense and size a lot more so i like i think he could be a a very good player in the nba it it just in the sense of being a a solid starter for a long time but the upside is not really there beyond that to me but in this draft that could be a very solid pick that could be a top five pick in this draft yeah from from where we are right yeah. now yeah we'll see we'll see who else uh we can come up with here all right let's get to the bulls in just one second here all right the chicago bulls once thought to be in the cap space derby for this year that has now been extinguished with the trade for Otto porter where do they sit now financially and who are their major free agents or minor free agents As I see it, the Bulls have some of the least variability in terms of their cap space because their free agents are are either low salary or probably not coming back. So Robin Lopez has the highest cap hold. I expect him to be gone as an unrestricted free agent. Timothy Wau Cabarro, unrestricted because of the declined option, not by them, but still limited by that that restriction. Then their only other free agents are Wayne Selden, Ryan Archdiakono, both of whom are restricted should they make a qualifying offer. And then Shaq Harrison has a a partial guarantee or sorry a non-guarantee and then a partial guarantee if he makes it through i think it's mid-august so if you look at all that really what what you're talking about for chicago is somewhere between 17 and 20 million in space i think that's that's about right you know like that, that that's pretty much the range that they're working with and there is some value to being below the max line, especially as a team that was not going to get a max player anyway, because now, I mean, granted, I'm telling this that Garpak should do this, but they could set their sights a little bit lower and maybe they can get somebody in the early going that can actually be a part of their future, like an important part of their future, ideally a starter, but maybe even a really important rotation player. Yeah, and they could bump up by another three million as well. We haven't heard whether their long-term injury exclusion for Omar Ashik has been granted. That could wipe it. Oh, that, that's right. Million. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that uh, off the books there. And yeah, I think really just Arch Diakno. I'd expect them to uh, make him a qualifying offer. Wayne Selden, eh, may, maybe a little bit less likely. Lopez doesn't seem like he'd be back, although you know maybe maybe he could come back at as a, a backup center though his cap hold is huge it's 21 million so they would have to agree with him on a much smaller deal leaving his cap hold on the books isn't really an option so what do these guys need i think the, number one obviously is point guard perhaps in the draft kobe white could be there we, we haven't gotten to him yet as a point guard it seems like darius garland will probably be gone white seems like the only guy that they might grab phoenix also needs a point guard picking directly ahead of them Casey Johnson reported that there's a belief that a team picking above the Bulls has promised White and that's probably not the Lakers because they're looking to trade that number four pick and it's probably not the Cavs because they like Colin Sexton and so that would probably lead me to believe that that's Phoenix if in fact that report is true or that could be obfuscation from the Bulls and they 
they are the one who who is uh, uh promised white which and, and white you know just based on, on what he's supposed to be a, as a shot creator it, he is so uh, kind of seem a little bit like the point guard version of zach levine <laughs> uh in terms of like the difficult shot selection but he is a really good transition player he's probably better defensively than zach levine since everyone is so that that really i think is going to be the number one domino and we'll have a much better idea of where they're going to go in free agency once we see who they pick but also you know starting the season with a a one and done point guard this is a team that uh, for the 97th year in a row it seems like even though it's only been two years of rebuilding seems like they really like need to take a a step forward they have uh, brought Jim Boylan in uh, on a three-year extension now so they still have Chris Dunn at point guard but it, it seems clear that you know they have soured on him as the point guard of the future I think he'll still get chances outside of point guard what do you see as their other needs assuming that they're trying to take a step forward from a competitive standpoint next year which I believe they are they still need perimeter talent ideally at the three because they have marking in what's what's a three <laughs> they, yeah they, because uh, I like I li- had one on the team yeah I still like Otto Porter more as a four than as a three yeah no but, no I that, that's not true I, I think he's clearly their starting three I, oh I he is there he is joking, their starting three but aside. I think you could what they could by getting another guy who's more of a three than a two they could do some more versatile stuff defensively and also then that opens up the possibility of playing some different yeah. front court rotations you know maybe sliding marketing into the five or like in case somebody gets hurt you have more versatility all those sorts of things yeah I, I think they'll probably see backup center as a bigger need than a, than a starting caliber two or three now I agree with you in the sense that if you can get a player like that and it's not too expensive you know that's always what it, what every team is going to need and you can find backup centers uh, more easily they also have Chandler Hutchinson who I think they uh, he missed the, the end of the year during the Tankapalooza, so there's maybe a hope that he can move into a larger role uh, this year and, and fill that role that we're talking about. They definitely need a backup too, uh, as well. Oh you know, yeah, the, uh, Antonio Blanke, Raleigh Alkins, Brandon Sampson. Uh, that's not necessarily filling it there. Selden, if he comes back, I mean, those are all pretty fringy guys uh, at this point in time. Uh, Luau Caparo as well. They, oh, they will be getting Denzel Valentine back, who the organization still seems to believe in uh, after he missed all all of the season. Um, they also need a backup four, which is getting kind of in the lines of, you know, a combo four, like what you were talking about. And those combo fours are a little more easy to find, I think, than, you know, just a pure three. And they're paying a, a three $28 million already, too. Right. And with the thought being maybe you can play marking in at center some, you could bring in that combo forward. You can do some more switching. You know, Dunn is strong enough to switch. Zach Levine is not. Um but yeah, then a, a pure backup center would seem to be a, a part of the market as well. Well, and and so what's a challenge for their front office to deal with is how do you apportion their resources to solve all these different problems? Because twenty million is a lot of space, but it goes really quickly. And figuring out how many years they want to offer. So, like for example, if Chicago wants to be competitive next year, one huge way for them to become a potential, if not likely, playoff team would be to get a capable point guard. You know, I think that opens up a lot of things for various players on their roster. You know, I think well, and, and one who can shoot too. Yes, I mean, under under Boylan. Yeah, the, like the, the like, Ru- like Rubio. Rubio is is arguably the most talented point guard that could consider Chicago. Like basically, that there's a realistic option because he's unrestricted and all that. But Rubio is to me a, a pretty poor fit with this team 
because of his specific limitations. Yeah, same thing with like TJ McConnell uh, right. as well. Yeah, so I mean, like, could they be interested? Would Darren Collison move the needle for them? Yes, absolutely. I, I think that he would. I think Corey Joseph would as well. Beverly's a little, you get a little bit, a little bit dicier. Yeah, but from Chicago. Yeah, from Chicago. But, you know, the Bulls, not a, you know, even if they could maybe be a fringe playoff team next year, they don't have that like championship upside in the near term. Would those players take a one-year contract with them would they take like would they want multiple years like really lock in that money part of the cha- challenge of so many guys choosing to be free agents this summer is i think a lot of them that this is the risk they're taking that now they want that long-term contract and chicago probably shouldn't give that type of a player that contract because all of those guys don't really make sense with where the bulls are going rather than where they are right now yeah, but maybe the thought would be, all right, we're going to draft Kobe White and then we'll bring in George Hill, who, who I think would be a solid fit next to Zach Levine. Hill has played that role, obviously, with De'Aaron Fox already, so he may not be interested in it, but the Bulls have plenty of money to offer. And perhaps we should turn to their 2020 summer finances. They're looking at $35 million in space right now. Otto Porter has a $28 million player option that you would imagine in the same vein that Harrison Barnes this year would be probably a pretty similar calculation for him. You know, we'll see how he plays this year and how important he is to the Bulls. You could see him opting out, signing a, a longer term deal. He's still pretty young uh, as well. You know, he'd only be seven years into the league. He was a pretty young sophomore when he was drafted in 2013. So maybe that'll be part of it. But you imagine even if he resigns for a, a lower number, if they lose him, then they could have almost 60 million in space but that's you know again this has not been a huge free agent destination and you imagine that at least some of the big markets that are going for free agents this year will strike out and then look to be active again so i don't see the bulls being a top destination unless Markin and carter and levine just like completely blow up this year and they make the playoffs then maybe things change a little bit there so uh, i'm not sure that it you would say oh we can only do a one-year deal if you go at the point guard position i think that's probably the case there isn't a point guard on the market to me who's worth a long-term deal maybe it'd be a two-year deal for that sort of player uh or maybe you could give a player a deal similar to what they did with jabari parker last year where you pay them more money on the front end you use some of that cap space but then you get some sort of team choice in the second year that could be a non-guarantee a partial guarantee or a team option yeah so so that's a a thought as well you know i I don't think that the 2020 plan as uh bulls fans so derisively referred to cap space plans in the future some of which have worked out okay but that that would preclude them from bringing in a guy that they really thought could be part of their group going forward but it doesn't make sense to spend money on you know a 29 30 year old on a four-year deal with this team when it's not you're not going to be in contention at any point in time soon here so what, what about it at the backup center market? I mean, I think it's, we've discussed a lot of these guys already. You know, I think they'll kind of just see what they can find there. They do still have Cristiano Felicio, $8 million a year for the next two years still. And it's not worth using the stretch provision on him no. unless the exact right player somehow becomes available. Maybe next year, but probably not. But yeah, there there isn't anyone in particular that, that I think of a, as being a, a fantastic fit. I, I think ideally they would want to have someone who could play next to both Carter and Markkanen 
that might be another. I think the the combo forward might be a better approach there than the straight backup center. They, they aren't going to want to expose Markin into having to play backup center minutes every night, though. That, that's why I was thinking about somebody like Taj Gibson, theoretically. Who coming back to Chicago? That'd be interesting. But also something to think about, and I, I talked about this. I, I think it's an important consideration for every front office and for people who speculate on front offices to think about what a coach intends for the rotation. So if Boylan wants Markinen and Carter to play a lot together, then having this third guy who kind of fills for both spots is a little bit less interesting. If he wants to do more of a bench mob idea, and sometimes this is this is necessity being the mother of invention. Like it can be it can be that way as well. But in terms of resource allocation, I think that's really important. So then maybe you go for a more mi- minimum style five and then maybe a more versatile forward in that circumstance because they're not going to play like 20 minutes. You're looking more for a 10 minute a game guy. Yeah, and they basically have Markin and Carter are like the only serviceable bigs under contract right now. So they really need two bigs to come in. And maybe there's a possibility that they could bring back Lopez on a balloon one-year deal and then stay over the cap and use the full mid-level exception and the, the BAE try to bring in some more reinforcements that, that way as well. That that would be another possibility. Hey, Danny, Jordan Bell, restricted free agent. That, I mean, that's the other thing. I, I nearly brought about, him up right? a couple of times. Yeah. He actually makes well, some well, sense. So, you know, maybe this could be the Malcolm Brogdon offer sheet destination. That's a possibility. I I, I like that for them if, if, I mean, considering Brogdon can fill a lot of gaps. Also, depending on how they restructure the guard position, I think Brogdon can fit with a couple of different systems. You know, if they get a point guard who ends up being good enough to be the point guard of the future in the draft, Brogdon makes some sense. Yeah, I'm on board. You know, it's funny. They haven't been linked to him at all. And I do think that they would be a terrible fit in the back. I I know where you're going. D'Angelo Russell. Yep. Russell Levine, baby. Yeah, but but I mean, you, you would you would imagine if there were any interest there, all of these D'Angelo Russell is going to have a market. No, no, he's really going to have a market. He's really going to have a market as a restricted free agent. Uh, now the Bulls generally played a little closer to the vest than some teams, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily seem like who they'd be going for. And, and you know, he, he and Levine together would be an interesting offensive backcourt. Terry Rozier could be another potential option. And I think that the restricted free agent route makes more sense for them than going with the veteran unrestricted guy. This is a team that I think they can afford to wait to some degree. Uh, but again, so much depends on and if they draft a, a point guard or not. But, you know, if you uh, make a deal for Terry Rozier, now, of course, if Kyrie leaves, then Rozier becomes a b- bigger priority in Boston. Um Moxie Kleba could be an interesting restricted free agent candidate for them uh, as well. Bobby Portis, restricted free agent. Only 24, Danny. And we know the Bulls were willing to offer him significant money before, and it's the same It's the same group. Hey, you know who else is a unrestricted free agent point guard this year? Could look pretty good running a pick and pop with uh, with Larry Markkinen. Are you talking about Rajon Rondo? Oh, no. Although that's hilarious as well. <laughs> Mr. Derek Rose? Maybe we should just end this now. <laughs> I'm just, it's just, uh, Bulls blogger, great friend of the program, but he, he may just be ready to like completely unsubscribe from the podcast <laughs> at this point. So uh, maybe, maybe we should wrap it up here. Well, yeah, so I think Chicago, that idea of them striking early is is a worthwhile one, but there also could be more value later. Just there are so many free agents this year, yeah. and Chicago has so many needs that they can just kind of let the market come to them and just whoever's around just say, hey, look, we can give you playing time. We'll figure out a contract structure. You know, there there will be yeah. players on, on the market, especially at the big spots. I mean, there, there are so many, so many centers available this year. Yeah. And they'll have the ability to outbid. You know, maybe we'll see whether it's just a one-year deal. Maybe they 
could get the non-guarantee that you're talking about you know there are players like Shumpert and Garrett Temple or Avery Bradley there are guys who could come in and give this team a boost on the wing and get plenty of playing time that could really be useful I think they could also um, complete yeah. an underrated heist by re-signing Justin Holiday. oh yeah yeah I mean getting two first round picks for him was one two, of, two seconds or so yeah two unprotected right. seconds but two unprotected seconds from a team that's looking pretty rough yes all right let's wrap up or anything else we gotta talk about before we go nba cast thursday night no we're not doing it because we'll be <laughs> no we're not dude it's a, it is so hot in here right now i've i like took a break during the pod to just like run my head under the shower because i was just that like that's how hot i am in here like we i can't open the windows and we have no air conditioning uh so I, i'm getting a little delirious but uh you can plug something now yeah i i'm working on some pieces but it, nothing, i don't think anything i'm working on a sign and trade piece that might be done in time for wednesday i'm i'm hoping to to pull it because that's a nice time to release it so keep an eye on that that'll be at the athletic watch my twitter feed and we will be we will have a, a recording on definitely on thursday night we're still kind of figuring out the timing for the rest of this week and if that's the next one it will be a very important podcast on a on an absolutely massive game all right we'll talk to you all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.